Hello and welcome to the Sifted podcast recorded at Dream Factory, the content creation house for startups. I'm Amy, Sifted's editor, and I'm not joined by Eleanor this week. I'm joined by... I'm Tim, Sifted's Iberia correspondent, and yeah, I'm trading places with Eleanor today, who is in Barcelona, while I'm over in London for some clowning around at the Sifted Away Day. Yeah, and Tim is actually normally our podcast editor as well. So it's thanks to Tim that you get this every single week. And in case you haven't listened to this before, at Sifted, we report on Europe's tech and startup sector. And in this podcast every week, we talk about some of the top stories that we've written in the week. We bring on some of our journalists to talk about how they went about reporting them. And we round up some of the biggest news items of the week as well. So what's been going on at Sifted, Amy? We've got an exciting announcement. We do. We have a new reporter joining us this week. So her name is Zosha Wonat and she's currently based in Brussels, but she will be very soon moving back to Warsaw. She is Polish. That's where she's from. And she's going to be covering Central and Eastern Europe for Sifted. So if you are a startup based in that region or an investor, please get in touch with Zosha. She is Zosha at sifted.eu and you spell Zosha Z-O-S-I-A. And Zosha's also in London this week, isn't she, for the, uh, for this yearly, what do we call it, the away day? I feel like as we're a startup, we're obliged to do a bizarre team building activity. Yeah, so there's, it's apparently involving a clown, which uh, (laughs) we're all a little bit apprehensive about, but it's also going to be a rounders match. That is an annual tradition sifted, which I am very proud to have started and drinks and dancing. So there will be clowning and actual fun. I've looked at the clown's website. I think it's going to be quite uh, confronting for some of us tightly buttoned up Brits to get us talking. And Yeah, I would say acting and being on stage was never exactly my forte as a kid, so I'm a little bit scared. Well, (laughs) I'm sure it'll be fun. But anyway, what are we talking about on the show this week, Amy? So we have Miriam Partington, our Berlin-based reporter, coming on to tell us about some more drama at speedy grocery company Gorillas. And we'll be talking about some of the challenges that femtech startups face in France. And before that, we're going to also talk about some news that's been going on in tech and startups this week. So, yeah, who has been raising money, Amy? So one that caught our eye earlier this week was crypto payments startup Fung. So it's an Amsterdam-based startup that has just raised $2.7 million. And it's basically set up some infrastructure that will enable small and medium-sized e-commerce businesses, so online businesses, to accept payments via crypto. It says that it's on a on a path, that's a quote, to becoming fully regulated by the Dutch Central Bank. And it's already billing itself as the, I quote, first regulated payments platform unifying crypto and fiat payment rails. There you go. Fiat Very, payments. Exactly. Fiat is what crypto bros call just normal money. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's it's not just a car. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. also <laughs> it's also uh, just normal money. And I guess the reason that people are fairly interested in this is that there are much bigger companies already doing similar stuff like the US-based MoonPay is quite a well-known name now and Stripe has also got into this recently. Um, and there are companies also doing various sort of 
infrastructure things for crypto. So they're doing what people call on and off ramping, which is basically helping you buy crypto and sell crypto. And we're going to be writing more about that and looking at who the big Europe-based players are on Sifted very soon. So keep your eyes peeled on the website. Yeah, and the regulation thing seems to be a big deal. And perhaps that is what will make this kind of stuff commonplace. Have you ever bought anything online with crypto? I do not own any NFTs. I do not own any crypto. I wouldn't even know where to start. I am in that like clueless section of the market. What about you, Tim? I actually did buy an NFT. My mate who used to work for Sifted called Ryan Weeks, who now works for a crypto news site, persuaded me to go in on an NFT drop with him. And it's now, it, I think I got it for about 60 quid and it's now worth absolutely nothing. Congratulations, so, Tim. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> and thanks to Ryan for that as well. Um, and it's funny because we had another piece on the site this week, an op-ed from Antal Chung de Grute, who is the founder of a Web2 fintech. And she wrote a piece about trying to immerse herself in the world of Web3 as a bit of a skeptic and basically trying to see what Web3 was all about. And I feel like it's a term that is obviously generating a lot of hype for investors. People are still putting money into this and what is a tough time but not everyone really understands what Web3 is. Not everyone understands what it's going to be. And in Anne Toe's piece, she essentially said that there's a lot of solutions looking for problems. And, you know, do e-commerce sites really need a crypto payment option when it took them so long to adopt any kind of software? So it feels like it's very early days and... I just don't know anyone who wants to do that online shopping with crypto yet, but maybe that will all change. No, but I think uh, the most interesting bit of Antho's piece for me was right at the end, she talks about how she's not convinced, you know, these these startups are really solving anything right now. But what she did think was really interesting and relevant for founders like herself was that lots of kind of top execs and like the most brilliant talent want to get involved in this because it feels like it's the big new thing. And they're, you know, just spending time building DAOs, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, kind of in their spare time for free, just because they want to kind of get involved in this phenomenon. So her kind of takeaway was that founders in the old school internet, Web2, need to be thinking about how they make what they're building equally exciting so they can attract, you know, get top talent working for them too yeah and it is crazy just anecdotally hearing friends who are like going for jobs at web3 companies the salaries are crazy you know they seem to be attracting great people so i mean it doesn't seem like it's going away no watch this space yeah and who else has been raising money amy there was one story in the land of vc for which will be interesting to companies looking to raise money yeah so felix capital which is a london-based series mostly series a investor raised a big new 600 million dollar fund um which it says it will be investing in about 20 to 25 series a startups probably mostly in europe felix has always been very focused on consumer startups um it's in the past invested in the likes of Deliveroo, Farfetch, Seller X, which is one of those at Amazon aggregators, SoRare, the fantasy football NFT platform, Travel Perk, the from where Tim's from, Barcelona-based sort of business travel unicorn, and Dot, which is an Amsterdam-based e-scooter startup. So quite a significant chunk of capital going towards the growth stage rounds. 
Yeah, which will be encouraging because we've been hearing how challenging growth stage funding is right now. So it's good to see big money still being raised. And I guess shows that there is still appetite from, you know, LPs and institutional investors to back VC funds, which is one good sign. Yep. I'd also encourage you to read the article on the Sifted site, even so you can just see Felix's team photo, which is takes coordination to a whole new level. Oh, I haven't seen. I'll check it out. And that is not the only pot of money being made available to European startups this year. We've got one story from Zosha this week, don't we, Amy? Yeah, so um, as we mentioned, we have Zosha joining us this week, who's currently based in Brussels, but we'll be reporting on Eastern European startups. And the perfect story landed in my inbox for her because... Today, the EU has announced a £20 million fund to support 200 Ukrainian tech startups. Uh, Those can be startups that are either still based in Ukraine or that have relocated to the EU, and they'll be eligible for up to €60,000 per startup. And on top of that, there'll also be non-financial support for them, kind of advisory services, matchmaking, access to other European Commission funding schemes as well. Yeah, and I feel like this is a nice thing to be covering in a way because it has, you know, for everyone, I think, kind of dropped off the news agenda to a degree what's been happening in Ukraine. At first, it was a very shocking and all-consuming story and like everything, media's kind of fallen into a pattern of it being a new normal almost. And yeah, we've done lots of coverage about the Ukrainian tech sector, all these incredible success stories. And one thing that caught my eye from this press release was that you know, a lot of the kind of household names that we know from Ukrainian tech aren't necessarily from Kyiv. So yeah, GitLab, which is one of the best known Ukrainian big tech companies, it's a unicorn, is was founded in Kharkiv, which if you've been following the news, we know is one of the places worst affected by the war. And it just goes to show how widely spread talent was in that country. And, you know, also how important it has been for the country today in terms of still trying to keep the economy going during this war. And it's great to see the EU is putting its money where its mouth is and trying to support those businesses that can still keep going where many others can't. Now we're heading to Berlin to speak to Miriam Partington about some of the latest drama at Gorillas. We know we've spoken about the speedy grocery phenomenon quite a lot on the podcast, but we just think it's really interesting. Miriam, what's been going on this week? Yeah, so quite a big one, actually. Um, So yesterday we found out that uh, Gorillas' chief people officer, global chief people officer, and their VP of human resources have both left at the same time. And I mean, this is quite a big deal because if you can imagine, you know, a big company like Gorillas not having any kind of senior HR staff members, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. You know, like, of course, in any company, HR is really, really important, but especially with a model like Gorillas, if you can imagine like HR is making sure everything runs smoothly across warehouses it's organizing all the employees like not only HQ but riders so this was quite a big blow to the company so who are the people that are leaving Miriam and and are they are they a big deal what did they do before 
Yeah, so actually, Dina Fox, the chief people officer of Gorillas, who's now stepped down, obviously, she was the founder of Bright Fox, an employee engagement platform. But she was also chief people officer for Oscar Health and Jet, which are like two big US unicorns. And she was also the director of HR for Amazon in North America. So when she was actually hired by Gorillas, it was kind of like a big, like, whoa moment, because of course, she's got so much experience. And I'm imagining she came with quite a hefty price tag. And with regards to Linda Van Velsen, she actually was the VP of HR for the restaurant chain Five Guys. And she also did a similar role at Heineken. So these two people coming into Gorilla's leadership team at the time was like, wow, okay, so Gorilla's is a real company now. They've got some really excellent people joining. So I think their departure, is, it's going to be rough for them. And it's not just that these women are leaving. They've also seemingly paused hiring any new HR roles, haven't they? As far as we can see on LinkedIn, what, what have some of your sources been saying that might mean, Miriam? Yeah, so... I mean, I've been I've been hearing rumors for a while, but um, I did speak to a few people yesterday that said that they're kind of speculating that the departure of such senior HR staff could indicate that gorillas might have a potential buyer and is anticipating kind of combining some of these HQ functions. So, I mean, if we put it in context, what we've been hearing a lot recently is that Gorillas is burning through a lot of money. They haven't got that much left in the bank. And then with all of these layoffs as well, it's really just not looking very good for them. So, yeah, the the speculation is that they might have someone in the market to kind of take over them. And we have already started to see some consolidation in the market. Flink, which is another Berlin-based grocery company, bought a smaller French competitor, Cajou a few weeks ago. But I'm a bit sceptical about these rumours that Gorilla might have found a buyer because it almost seems too big to get bought by me. You know, it has a hefty price tag on it. And I don't think, you know, a big supermarket chain could buy it, for example. I don't think any of its competitors like Getir or Flink would really want to spend that much money acquiring, you know, often lots of overlapping customers and very similar you know, technology. So I think if Gorillas does get sold or does get bought, it's likely to be at a very, very, very reduced valuation. And Miriam, I feel like we can't talk about Gorillas with you without talking about some of your previous reporting. This is hardly the first challenge the company has had, right? Tell us about the story that you and Freya and the rest of the team worked on last year. Yeah, I mean, last year was kind of such a big moment for gorillas. I feel like in, so it was founded in March 2020 during COVID. And then I think for the first nine months until it hit unicorn status, everybody was just kind of like fangirling over this company, you know, how quickly it scaled this whole new concept. And then workers in Berlin started to kind of strike and protest. And there were some really, you know, quite serious legal um, situations going on. But um, we spoke to quite a lot of employees last year, both in HQ and riders. And there were just kind of countless examples of, you know, really bad HR practices, including arbitrary firings, you know, poor conditions, poor equipment, all of those kinds of things. And also just a culture where there wasn't really many outlets for employees to give feedback and to kind of express their concerns. So the, these problems have kind of been ongoing. I know that there is now a works council that's been set up within Gorillas, but from what I hear from riders, this hasn't been very effective so far and a lot of the problems kind of persist. 
Yeah, and I feel like your story at the time touched a lot on the fact that the founder was quite inexperienced, relatively speaking, hadn't really led a scale up before. And I suppose as an investor, you know, watching a company like that grow so quickly, these two hires in the people department with so much experience must have really put some minds at ease. So it's definitely big news that they're on the way out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we'll see we'll see who else ends up staying in for the long haul, you know? Like they they have said that they're doing this whole kind of radical reorganization of the company, but let's see. Are well, you going to be busy, I think Miriam in the next few months? <laughs> yeah, perhaps, yes. On to our final story today. This was a piece written by freelancer Sophie Stuber, and she was looking at founders in France who are trying to find solutions and treatments for women's health issues. And France is an interesting case study here because last year, Emmanuel Macron announced a 7 billion euro pot for innovations in healthcare, 2 billion of which is going towards startups. So if anywhere that we might see big progress in healthcare innovation from startups, you would think France would be the place. But as Sophie wrote, Amy, not everyone is finding things so easy. Tell us about one of the startups she wrote about, Lineal. Yeah, so Lineal makes ergonomic and environmentally friendly menstrual cups. So I guess like the Moon Cup, that is maybe the the best known brand in that space. And when the founder first introduced this product to gynecologists back in 2015, she said she was met with utter scepticism. And that, you know, lots of the, especially male gynecologists that she approached were totally uninterested. And she uh, quoted, they told me that periods and menstruation were not part of their job, which is a little bit strange given that they are gynecologists. And looking, I guess, at the broader picture, 51% of um, the obstetricians and gynecologist practitioners in France are now women, yet at the board level of the French National College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, 74% of people are still men. So it seems like they're slightly kind of entrenched gender imbalance in the, the power makers here. And, and I guess the, the why that matters to startups is that, you know, often these medical professionals, they are the gatekeepers. So if you want to get a product accepted widely in the healthcare system, you need to get them on board. And one gynecologist, Dr. Leah Delbos, who Sophie spoke to, said, we still have a rather masculine medical profession. And this is something that startups are coming up against. Yeah. And, you know, we hear about sort of the gatekeepers in investment boardrooms, not really understanding issues like menstruation or anything to do with women's health. So it's a little bit depressing to hear that 74% of the obs and gynae board in France are men. I was surprised by that. But good to hear that things are changing, I guess. Yeah. And there's also a challenge that health techs face in France but in other countries as well which is that if they go down the kind of VC route down the route of raising private funding some people especially in you know the medical profession think that creates a kind of slight conflict of interest whereas others think that actually you know public funding is just quite slow it's quite hard to get hold of and if we want innovation to happen faster you need to get money from elsewhere. 
Yeah, and I think this is something in one of the areas I cover, which is psychedelic-assisted therapy. This is a big debate about should, you know, wealthy billionaires be the ones who are funding these treatments because then they'll be the ones who own the treatments and these are people who generally have profit in mind as opposed to patient outcomes. So I suppose there's always that conflict when you're needing to do expensive clinical trials to get things medically available from a doctor Often that money is most easily available from private investors. But yeah, not everyone is convinced that those private investors will always make things as accessible, I suppose, as they might be if they were developed in the public sphere. Yeah, and it's also relevant, not just in terms of kind of developing products, but also in terms of running trials and kind of publishing results about the efficacy of, you know, new technologies or new medicines. So um, another one of the startups that Sophie spoke to is a company called Zewig, which has developed a saliva test to detect endometriosis, which is a horrible condition, which one in 10 women have, and it is kind of utterly under-researched and can be extremely painful for the people who suffer from it. And this startup hasn't received any public money to run these trials. And then, of course, that then leads to some people perhaps questioning the results of those trials because they've been funded by the company themselves. But the company needs to do the trials to kind of prove that the thing works. And so you end up in a bit of a catch-22 there. Yeah, and the piece also touched upon the fact that we kind of live in this post-Theranos age now, the big scandal from US tech where this, you know, sort of charismatic founder convinced everyone that her blood testing startup was going to change healthcare. And I suppose Zewig is slightly unfortunate because it's also doing a kind of biometric or this time saliva testing. But that is something that now people are very sceptical about. Does this work? Have you cooked the books a bit in terms of your results? So perhaps not an ideal time to be doing that kind of work. Um, but there was one other really amazing company that Sophie talked about in the piece. That was Lattice Medical. Tell us about that and the kind of challenges that they described. Yeah, so Lattice Medical makes 3D printed personalised implants for women who've had mastectomy. So these are breast implants and their one is called Matisse after the painter and it actually dissolves and gets absorbed by the body's tissues in 12 to 18 months, leaving only natural tissue regenerated from a patient's cells. So it's kind of an implant that then turns, helps you kind of regrow natural tissue, which seems seems pretty amazing very sci-fi and you know that for patients of breast cancer it's such a huge thing so you know it sounds like just the kind of technology innovation we need but the founder said that it's not exactly where investors always want to put their money this kind of thing yeah so hardware in medicine but in many other areas as well is often something investors are a bit more wary of putting or, or the kind of investors we at least talk about most of the time the venture capital investors are a little bit less inclined to put money behind because the research and development take time production takes time you know you, it's just not as easy to scale as, as fast as a software business so yeah the founder julian payne said that like more digital tech is easier to invest in and we have at sifted covered you know digital apps like uh, flow the menstruation tracker mjoy uh, furly these kind of sexual well-being apps that you know provide content and stuff through your mobile device and it's interesting because I've spoken to founders of those businesses and they've said that investors kind of see the success of like digital well-being apps 
just for the general population, like Calm and Headspace doing really well. And like, oh, we can translate that to women and that will be, that's a proven business model. So it just shows that, you know, it's perhaps investing by numbers a bit and trying to back stuff that's already worked rather than some really wild technology that can recreate flesh out of nothing, I guess. On the plus side, Lattice Medical has raised seed funding. So hopefully, hopefully they can bring that product to a mass market very soon. And that is all we've got time for today. So this episode of the Sifted Podcast was recorded in Dream Factory, the content creation house for startups based in Shoreditch. And they are, as always, very kindly offering Sifted Readers a discount code, which gives you £300 off the £3,000 yearly membership. All you need to do is quote Sifted 300 when you book a tour or apply for membership. And if you want to hear more about what is going on in the world of European tech and startups, find all our coverage over on sifted.eu. Follow us on Twitter at sifted.eu and subscribe to our newsletters also on the website. And please let us know what you think of the Sifted podcast. Email Tim, tim at sifted.eu. He edits the show and he always loves to hear from our listeners. So please get in touch with Tim. Give him a nice, rosy, rosy, warm feeling one day. And please join us next week. Thank you, Tim. You've been a delightful co-host. It's been fun. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.